What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. Uh, we are joined with uh, two super producers today, uh, Matt, the Madman Frederick, uh, and Dylan, uh, listener Mail Fagan. Yeah, catch-all. Catch-all. Yeah. Catch-all Fagan. Yeah. yeah. He does a lot of things around here that Dylan does. He sure does. Yeah. They're both Renaissance men. They both you are, know? yeah. Uh, so, Scott, it's... Closer than ever to the end of the year. Yeah, it is. And, uh, <laughs> of course, that means that our in ma- our, our inbox, I guess, on our, our email is mm-hmm. totally loaded with listener mail and things that we just haven't had a t- chance to respond to. Some that we have that I felt were uh, still... You know, interesting enough that I'd bring them in for a nuts and bolts type episode, you know, where we yeah. catch up on some things and let everybody hear, you know, uh, what somebody's thinking. Because there's some, some interesting feedback on some prior shows that we have mm-hmm. here that um, that I'd like to read. Um, I've got a few things to catch up uh, listeners with. Uh, you know, some things that I forgot in other podcasts maybe uh, that we can kind of bring back. And just a few interesting stories, or at least I think they're interesting stories here and there. And <laughs> Oddly enough, a couple of these tie in with some of the listener mail, so I may need to do some uh, some paper shuffling at some point here, as mm-hmm. as usual. Uh, but I'll try to keep all the, uh, the the stuff organized over here on my side of the table. You know, <laughs> I've got to point it out, Scott. We did an episode recently on traffic misconceptions. We received a lot of email about that too. Yes, uh, a lot of commiserating email. Yeah, yeah. As in well. fact, I got a few of those too. So maybe maybe you've got the same. Uh, you know, list over there, but uh, I'll chime in if uh, if I've got some of the same. Yeah, I'll go with. Uh, let's kick it off here with a email from Glenn A. Glenn says, "Scott and Ben, I enjoy your weekly podcast, and your latest got me going. Just want to add my list of irritations to your list and make a few comments. And uh, we'll do some highlights here because Glenn goes into depth. You know what? This is funny. You say this. The top of my notes here mm-hmm. is that exact email, and oh, yeah. it says read the highlights only or excerpts only uh, because it's." <laughs> It's long, but it's. It, I tell you what, they're funny. It's great. Yeah. Uh, so, Scott, maybe we can just alternate on this one. Uh, do you want to start us off? Absolutely. I'll start with uh, with the first one here. I guess it's pronounced Dilnar, right? D i l n a r, and that stands for driving in the left lane, no apparent reason. And I think everybody has has dealt with this. It's funny that he has a nickname for it, a, mm-hmm. an acronym. Yeah. Uh, he says this is my number one irritant. It is against the law to drive in the left lane in Virginia, but rarely in force. So when I took my driver's training course so many years ago, we were taught that you don't drive in the left lane unless you are passing, period. That's it. And uh, this next point, uh, I totally agree with. I also believe that driving in the left lane is not as safe as driving in other lanes. If something bad happens, you really have nowhere to go. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. I I constantly think of that. If I'm in the middle lane, I can go left or right. If I'm in the far right lane, I kind of only have one option. You can only go left. Yeah. Uh, and likewise with the fast lane. So, you know, sometimes you have a, a reduced shoulder because they don't really want you pulling over in the left lane typically anyway. So you have kind of like a half shoulder over there a lot oh, of times. Oh, no. yeah, yeah. If at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a smart point to make. And, oh, by the way, that brings up something else too. Since we're talking about this doing it wrong thing, 
in neighborhoods, that kind of driving is uh, is kind of expected. You know, like when you're in a residential area, like oh, a, yeah. you, you kind of drive in the middle because for this exact reason that he's talking about. If uh, a child runs out into the street or a car door opens or something like that, they, it's better to be driving in the middle of a residential street roadway when you can. And you're only getting left or right when – I'm sorry, getting right, I guess, when you have to. Well, that's – yeah, that's the, the strange thing. We have some narrow roads here in Atlanta, not near as narrow or as common as the roads in Boston, for instance. Yeah. But driving on the – I'm glad you mentioned residential stuff, Scott, because one thing that drives me crazy here in Atlanta – no pun intended when I say drives me crazy, is the practice of cars parking on both sides of the street. Mm-hmm. So you're in this narrow, like, suicide lane. Oh, yeah. And you have to negotiate. If uh, there's oncoming traffic, you have to kind of do this, uh, the car version of when you accidentally almost walk into someone. Uh, yeah. And you both try to go to the same direction. Not quite chicken, but almost. And, and, mm-hmm. and then you have to also have to remember, like, the rules of the road again. Like, if somebody's coming in off of a main road, mm-hmm. you give them right away because they can't have traffic backing up behind them. Uh, it's, there's a lot of... A lot of uh, I guess nuance to uh, driving in a neighborhood, really, and more than you would think even. But, uh, but okay, well, I've already derailed us, and we're on number <laughs> one. So let's move on to number two. Yes, so number two, people that do not maintain a constant speed. And, uh, Glenn says, they provide cruise control in cars for a reason. I often have people coming up to me in the passing lane, and when they get to my blind spot, they decide to go the same speed I'm going. I totally feel you on that one. Also, cruise control prevents the air quote, male urge to speed up when someone's trying to pass you. You know how when you just don't want someone to go by you for no apparent reason. Check it out. It's a common male trait. I know one of you doesn't like cruise control, but I drive with it on when I can. That's, I us- that's me, by the way. That's Scott, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I usually hover my foot over the brake pedal, not touching, so I'm ready to hit the brake if I need to. It also prevents tickets. I think that's, I think that's a good point. Driving where we're at, in cruise control is is really tough. It's almost impossible. Yeah, because of just the the amount of insane stuff that will happen. But overall, cruise control on road trips has definite pros and cons. But that thing about people who want to be your pace car, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, or people who uh, they kind of hang into your uh, your blind spot. Mm-hmm. That happens. Just kind of running with the pack. Yeah, and you know what? I totally understand. And I think a lot of people can relate to this this kind of this male urge thing to speed up when someone is trying to go just a little bit faster than you on the road. There's there is something to that. I, I I've noticed this as well. So uh, that's a uh, that's a good point to bring up. And I, I bet a lot of people will uh, will will agree that you know that's something that happens even if you're not really thinking about it. Even you're trying to like just keep a little bit ahead of everybody else for whatever right. reason. You're going to be ahead of the pack. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, merging. He says, I think that people believe that when they get to the end of an acceleration lane on the interstate, that when the, or when the lane ends, they have the right of way to just pull onto the highway, highway. They don't even bother to signal or look. I think that's, yeah, I think a lot of people do that. I mean, you're supposed to kind of gauge where you fit in the, in the scenario, you know, speed up or slow down a little bit to, to make it work. The people that are on the highway, it's not really their responsibility to, to let you in. I mean, right. it, it's kind of a give and take. I understand that it, it does work both ways, but really it's your job as the merging vehicle to figure out, again, do you need to speed up to get on this road or do you need to slow down to get on this road? You know, that's a good point, Scott, because when we think about it, what is better for traffic? That's the ultimate question, right? Is it uh, is it better for traffic for the people in the slowest right lane of the interstate to slow down even further to allow a backed up ramp to to exit? Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the case, or rather to merge on. Uh, let's go to Glenn's point about zipper merging, which is its own category and something a lot of you wrote to us about. Glenn says, I've heard that this works, but I would really like to visit the place where they do this. The theory's good, but where I live, people are speeding down to the merge point and zip into that 25-foot space someone leaves in front of them, causing the person behind to hit their brakes, thereby backing up the traffic even more. It is a downward spiral for the suckers waiting in line. My solution to this, says Glenn, would be a pop-up barricade that would pop up at the lane divider so line cutters couldn't do this. I would make it so the barriers would go up and down on a ramp basis. 
it would be like a sport. Also, zipper merging would probably not be needed if people paid attention when they are driving. <laughs> like a sport. So a pop-up barricade. This reminds me of, uh, you know, like the commercials where they're showing you tire, new tire technology or something mm-hmm. on a skid pad where, you know, the, uh, the children crossing the road with the, the crossing guards just pops up in front of you, almost like a, uh, like a shooting range thing would do or something, you know, like, uh, like a target almost. Insane. Uh, you know, you're supposed to avoid, avoid or stop or whatever, but, uh, that, that'd be kind of a funny idea. Pop-up barricades on the road. And then the random feature. Oh, that's another interesting idea. But uh, I'll tell you what, let's just move on to the very last one here because yeah. he's got so many in this list, and they're all really good, by the way. But um, the last one, this one, I, I totally understand this. He says, I live on the eastern shore of Virginia, and we have a, a bridge tunnel that connects the, to the mainland. The speed limit on the bridge is 55 miles per hour, and the speed limit in the tunnel is also 55 miles per hour. So what should be happening here? Same speed, consistent all the way through, right? Yeah. That's not what happens. He says, many of the drivers from the other states up north, oh, he points fingers to people up north, uh, <laughs> will drive 65 or 70 on the bridge, and when they get to the tunnel, they'll hit their brakes and start driving at 35 or 40. Drives me crazy. I totally get this. I've seen this happen before. And I think the, the deal is that it's kind of like uh, you're entering – darkness, really. And I know mm-hmm. that there are lights in the tunnel and it's supposed to be lit appropriately for the time of day and or night uh, to kind of balance that out for drivers. But um, a lot of people, when they get to an enclosed area, will just naturally touch the brakes and they start to slow down. So maintaining that speed is tough for them because they're not maybe sure exactly what's ahead. You have limited sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's one thing. We have some you know small versions of this here, and even in downtown Atlanta, that go under buildings and things, um, you know, and overpasses that are kind of long. Uh, nothing like a, you know, a tunnel that goes under the water to connect to the mainland or anything like that. Right. But, um, I have seen this in person and yeah, he's right. That, um, th- that, that dramatic difference where it doesn't necessarily have to be that way does drive me crazy. Yeah. It's infuriating you too because it's a quick adjustment. And here in town, we're in kind of a hilly part of the world here, you know, like, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess the foothills, wouldn't you say of the Appalachians? Yes. And, when you get to areas that are kind of the, the rolling hills a little bit north of town, um, in a slight incline or even a slight decline will cause people to touch the brakes in different spots as well. And I think there have been studies done on this, you know, like what, what percentage of incline it takes. And it's very, very slight uh, where the car starts to go up and, oddly enough, people start to hit the brakes. It's almost like they, mm-hmm. they have the impression that the car in front of them has slowed down. Maybe they have because, you know, they need to accelerate a little more. Mm-hmm. But um, there's this perception that you need to slow down at those points. So at the point where you start going up or start going down. And, Strange. And, Glenn, thank you so much for writing to us. Uh, we read some of the highlights of that. Uh, let's go to another topic. Uh, another email. James D., you wrote to the show and said, In 2007, I bought a new Silverado Classic. Check this out, Scott. Over the next six years, I put 393,000-plus miles on it. Besides regular maintenance stuff, the only repairs were a loose piece of windshield trim under warranty and the alternator at over 300,000 miles. Definitely, says James, my most reliable vehicle. Hopefully, the 15 Sierra I own now will be just as good. 393,000 miles in six years? Plus. That, yeah. well, that's pretty remarkable. That's a lot of miles. But, um, oh, that's right. This is about the reliable cars we asked yep, about, right? Yep. So we had a few people write in about this. I, I didn't collect a bunch of these by any means. I, in fact, I've got the one from James in front of me as well. Um, I was going to read this and, and make another call to listeners to, to see if uh, they'd write in with their most reliable vehicle. And maybe we can gather enough of these that we can uh, put them in another Nuts and Bolts episode as yeah. a string of like reliable a, vehicles. A Hall of Fame. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because... I guess what could be the most reliable vehicle for some might be the most unreliable for others. You know, like someone else might have had a completely different experience with a, a Silverado Classic from that same That's year. That's true, yeah. It just, it's, I don't know if it's luck of the draw or how you treat it or what. It's probably a, a big combination of both. Mm-hmm. i tell you what. Let's move on to something outside of listener mail just for a second. All right, Ben. So I wanted to justify my used tire purchases in the recent past. Because <laughs> there's one episode, I felt kind of like I, I mentioned it, and it, it just makes me sound like I was just trying to save a buck or whatever. And I guess I was trying to save a buck, but I also want to say that I, I kind of knew what I was doing when I went into to what to look for. Um, you know, that I knew to watch for dry rot, and I knew that, um, you know, I, I to watch for the tires that have been painted black and things like that, you know, the tricks that they, they try to pull on these things. And, and also tread wear and all that, you know, and know how to read the tires to find out if they've been just sitting in a storeroom for a long time. Right. So that you know when they were, they were manufactured. And what I found, and this is kind of why I was okay with this whole thing, is I found a place that has had a decent 
set of tire, you know four tires regularly for me for my vehicle that were the right size, and I thought it was really strange. So I asked them why they have practically brand new tires, you know, in this used tire tire area of uh-huh. their shop, you know, that does other things. And the answer was, and it won't surprise anybody, I guess. People are so regularly now shifting from you know like the the, the stock factory wheels up to something custom that they will almost immediately strip off the manufacturer tires mm-hmm. and put on a, a set of custom wheels that have of course brand new you know custom tires as well I mean not custom I guess but the, the right size tire right so if I'm looking for a set of you know 16 inch wheels or tires rather that fit my 16 inch wheels it's no problem at all there's a million of them out there and a lot of them are like in brand new condition almost like you know I'm, I'm going to say this like a hundred miles on them at the most because someone immediately just swapped out the tires. So, in a, in a way, you know that's that's my justification for it is that you know I was getting a decent product for a very very low price. There's also times when I saw you know nothing but crap on the lot. You know they were terrible tires and and no way that I would purchase from a place like that or get a, a bad tire like that. And I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. But if you go in there and and really pay attention to the quality of them and you watch for things like, you know, I've seen them outside painting a stack of tires black. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. That, are, that are definitely like they're grayed from the sun and age. And, uh, you know, if you don't watch for things like dry rot and, you know, cracking and, and mm. previous patches in the in the uh, the treads, um, then you can really get burnt on something like that. But I felt I just needed to say that is that, you know, be wary. But if you're informed when you go in, you can get a really good deal. That's true. But you also, I, I would say you also need to know who you're working with but going to the random tire shop in town uh and just trusting people while ideally that's uh that would work it's not going to work all the time well i suppose so i mean i guess in the you know the couple of towns that i've lived in since i've been driving um you know i've, I've had a uh, a regular place that i go to and i don't know if you'd call it trust or whatever but a, but a uh uh, familiarity with them, <laughs> and you know you, they know that you want to go in and poke around a little bit and find you know the, the right set for you. It's not just the first one they show you or anything. Uh, but yeah, you, again, it all comes down to the, the prep that you do you know ahead of time. Yeah, uh, make sure you know what to look for, and and you can actually get a decent deal. But uh, again, I'm not I'm not saying definitely go do it or anything, but uh, just I don't, do your research. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to do your research. You know, a lot of people who got burned buying used tires got burned because they were maybe a little too credulous or a little too trusting. Or they did it back, you know, a long, long time ago when, uh, you know, it was popular to sell retreads. Mm-hmm. And uh, for for the common passenger cars. I mean, I know that they're still in use for some of the bigger trucks, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard of people getting really, really burned on a deal like this before. And I've seen people in the shop getting tires that I, I almost want to advise them just don't do it. But I don't know their financial situation or anything like that either. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're putting, you know, like a, practically a set of four bald tires on a vehicle. You know, for some person in the front lobby, you feel like you, you almost feel like you want to say something, but you, you don't. You don't want to step right, in. You right, right. It's kind of a, an awkward thing. It's a little but presumptuous. It is, yeah. I mean, because you just don't know everybody's situation. But, uh all right, we can move on. How about yeah. we get back to some listener mail? Yeah, something? what's next? Oh, okay. Um, uh, let's see. I had traffic misconceptions. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, recycling cars. And uh, I had a little bit of a back-and-forth email conversation with um, a guy named Brian, Brian H. And I don't know if Brian wants me to use his whole name, but um, he did say that he would uh, he would like a shout-out on the show. So, hey, <laughs> Brian H. Shout-out to Brian and H. Also, thank you for um, writing in with some, uh, well, some, I guess, some insider information on recycling Uh, Yeah, I remember this one. Yeah, so he says, I work for the largest auto recyclers in the U.S., and it's called LKQ Corporation, and he works as a delivery driver. One aspect of recycling cars you guys missed or glossed over was the reuse aspect. If you've ever had a car repainted at a body shop, you have OEM recycled parts in your car. Uh, this this does in fact include used glass. In fact, that's a lot. A lot of people have written in and said used glass is some is a thing. I yeah, mean that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You can get glass out of a car. Um, you'd be shocked at how little damage to a car it would take for an insurance company to claim a total loss in the vehicle. Oh, so they total out the car for very little damage now, um, and a lot of those total cars go to auction where uh, his company, you know, L. KQ Corporation, um, and many others buy them. So every part that is in good condition gets removed for resale, and that includes large portions of sheet metal, including quarter panels, rockers, etc. And they get wires for, uh, wires get recycled, I guess, like the copper and the brake cylinders and axles, bad engines, transmissions, transfer, transfer cases, all that, gets sent out to rebuilders, mm-hmm. um, you know, or sent to a remanufacturer for sale. Even the fluids drain for, the, okay, this is what intrigued me the most from this note. 
even the fluids drained from the car, such as oil and antifreeze, can be filtered and remanufactured. And I thought that was pretty remarkable. So I wrote back and, yeah. you know, asked him about that. And he sent me a link, which is – this is embarrassing, by the way, <laughs> on my end. Um, he sent me a link to an article from 2011 – uh, that is talking about a uh, well. Then at the at the time as a new oil, um, and I didn't know this existed. But there's an oil out there from Valvoline and probably others now uh, that is uh, made from 50% recycled oil, and it is called what's it called? It's called um, Next Gen Oil. Valvoline Next Gen Oil. Mm-hmm. It's 50% recycled oil, and he says we reuse the gas and diesel drained from the cars for forklifts and delivery truck use, which makes perfect sense. So he says, you know, uh, others use the uh, use oil heaters to heat the shop. So um, all kinds of things. He mentions, you know, wheels and hubcaps and all that stuff that, that go out to mm-hmm. manufacture or people that will remanufacture them, you know, that will straighten them and, and paint them and polish them and make them like new, I guess. Um, he says most of the waste, the biggest part of the waste comes from the interiors. At least that's in his experience. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes sense, too. That t- stuff takes a lot of wear and tear. And, you know, if it's a cloth that, you know, a fabric that's, you know, dirty, stained or smells bad or moldy or whatever, it's not a whole lot you can do with it. Um, Some of that stuff or most of that stuff goes to the shredder. Um, And, and, okay, one last little bit here Mm -hmm. is things like airbags and uh, he says airbags and brake calipers, which used to be illegal to be sold as used. uh, That's recently changed in the last few decades or last couple of decades. Uh, So even those they can sell now. So I, I thought this was really interesting. He sent along some corporate info about his uh, his company. Again, that's uh, it's, it's LKQ Corporation, if you want to look into it. But sounds like an interesting place. They've got places all over the United States, something like a, over 100 locations. So it's a really big recycler. And, uh, Brian, thank you for writing in with all this information because uh, otherwise we don't know the inside track on that stuff. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's, uh, it's surprising because it's a world that a lot of people don't know too much about, mm-hmm. you know. And Scott, speaking of fantastic segues, before we go to uh, the next email, which is a little bit of a blast from the past, uh, we're going to stop for a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
And we're back. And Ben, you said you have a blast in the past. Is that right? Yeah, yes. Something yes. that, well, how old is this? Is this like a year old, two, two years? This email is quite recent. Oh, but the that's episode, good The episode uh, to which it alludes is a, a much older one. Oh, okay. So somebody who's catching up on older episodes mm-hmm. then. Yes. Nick S. writes to us, says, Hi, Scott and Ben. Been listening to the show for a couple months now, along with a lot of the other How Stuff Works podcasts. And I think your show is great. Thank you, Nick. Uh, I've been listening to new episodes and older episodes as I've recently got into listening to podcasts. I just heard one that's very relevant to my life. I really could have used it about two years ago. It's the Living in Your Car episode, and I have some comments that hopefully I'm not too late to give. Oh, I remember this. This is a this is a nice email. I think I, I think I wrote back to Nick. Yeah, you did. Um, you did. Yeah, and uh, you know, we've talked we talked about this, and you've kind of had a, a long time. I guess I'll call it a fantasy, right? A fascination. To, to, a fascination, maybe. Yeah, to to live in a in a vehicle. You probably want to live in a van, right? Yeah, yeah. Down by well, the river. <laughs> of course, you have to add the down by the river part. But uh, but yeah, you you've kind of always wanted to have a, a mobile home. I guess. Yeah. In, in now a way, you right? know, Rudy warned me off rightly yeah. of the RV lifestyle. <laughs> And uh, it's a long-time listener, Rudy Smith. And I've gone back and forth with some listeners about types of RVs and, and uh, the the reality behind the fantasy, you know, and the idea of living in a car. Uh, Nick did live in a car, and he told us a story about out, it. Out of necessity. Mm-hmm. For about nine months, Nick says, I was living out of my car, a 2000 Crown Victoria police interceptor. I lived in it through summer, fall, winter, and just the tip of spring. I normally stayed inside the car from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. when I walked to the nearby mall, which is where I worked. I would wash up, change in the bathroom, and on days I was off, I would hang out all day. Then when the mall closed, walk back to my car, or in summer and warmer nights, I would spend an additional hour or two by the lake that was on my way back, finger quotes, home. The walk was probably about a mile away, if not less. In the colder nights of winter, I'd put a blanket on top of me while I wore sweatpants and a coat. I also opened up those hand warmer packets to put under my coat and my socks to keep me warm during the night, especially nights of snowstorms, which there were a few that winter, the last one being on March 5th, uh, the night my father passed. In the summer, I used a thin blanket to cover or conceal me while wearing shorts. Personally, I used a reflective sun visor on my car to help prevent looky-loos and such. Other than that, it was pretty much a daily routine and just staying off the radar and doing my best to stay neat for work. On a better note, says Nick. Recently, in May, I got a new car, one I'm not living in, thankfully, and after having just listened to your hot hatchback episode, I feel a need to share as a kind of budget hot hatchback. It's a 2013 Hyundai Veloster and is an underperformer compared to many, if not all, on the list, but it's still very fun to drive, does great on gas. Uh, It also has a really cool look with a unique twist of having three regular doors. I would honestly love to hear your opinion on this car, be it good, bad, or ugly. That's all I have to say. Love to hear back. Have a great day nick nick boy that is that's a quite a story yeah and i think he probably would have given us more we didn't press him for more detail on that i i really don't feel it's necessary i mean I, mm. that's a tough way to live and it sounds like he's really got things turned around so that's great yeah that's he's, awesome he's not living out of a car anymore that's that's it's a huge improvement mm-hmm. but man that's uh that's a rough thing to have to deal with i mean listen to that daily schedule that he outlined there yeah that's 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 awful uh, that would be really, really hard to keep up for nine months, as he said. And then considering you're working the whole time, too. And, and he, it turns, I mean, he's in a, uh, it sounds like he's in a, a climate where, you know, there's snowstorms and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's all seasons. So, uh, man, that's, that's really rough. But man, a good thing he got it turned around. And also, you know, I remember writing back to Nick about, um, the Veloster, by the way. And I, I like the Veloster. I really do. I mean, mm-hmm. I know the initial, launch of that thing didn't go so well i think it was kind of underpowered you know that was the complaint complaint with it you know it wasn't maybe um as performance oriented as it maybe looked because it does have a cool look to it um and i especially like the back end of that vehicle i mean that's uh, it's just so different so unique so interesting to me i it, it's it's really a, it's a fascinating looking vehicle and i think they've kind of upped their game with the uh the turbo version mm-hmm. and people are happy with that one but it never seemed to get the traction that i thought it would in the marketplace you don't see a lot of them around and it's not like it's their biggest seller or anything like that but right um it, when you do see them i guess they, they catch my eye i mean they're they're definitely they have that hot hatchback look i don't know if they have the you know, all-out performance to uh, to match it. I think it's just above 200 horsepower, which isn't bad for a small vehicle like that. No, and uh, the numbers he gave, I think, were like t- for mileage was uh, 28 mpg 
on the Street 37 on the highway, maybe? Yeah, and I think that's the non-turbo version, but still, that's, a, that's fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. I bet it's still a lot of fun to drive. That's the thing oh, with those yeah. small cars. Yeah. They don't need, you don't, you don't necessarily need 200 horsepower, and it's great to have it, but, right. um, if you've got, let's say it has 150 for the base model. I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, you know, so it's less anyways. And it all goes uh, back to the ratio, the power. It's still fun. Still fun. Power weight. Yeah. 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 Still fun no matter what. I mean, even if it is that lesser power. So, um, Nick, again, thanks for writing in. And, uh, and I love to hear stories like yeah, that. Yeah. And people. congratulations, Nick. And also uh, for everyone out out here during the uh, end of the year as the, as the weather is changing, uh, in more extreme degrees for some people, depending on where you live. Uh, just remember, you know, there are a lot of people uh, who are maybe in a Walmart parking lot or maybe are um, living living rough mm-hmm. due to one circumstance or another and it's uh you know not to get too not to get too preachy nobody don't feel like i'm telling you to go out and volunteer or anything but it's very it's easier than you might think to make a tremendous positive impact in a stranger's life and at the very least be uh, be considerate you know, yeah. if, there, if there's somebody that's clearly living out of their vehicle, you know, maybe maybe don't linger by and, you know, stare at them or something, you know. Uh, just just try not to make them feel odd. And since I said something nice, let me, let me go ahead and just <laughs> get the balance clean okay. and admit to everyone, I know it's for a good cause. I know there are great people doing it. But the people ringing the bells at the, at the doorways of every business, yeah. just I, it gets to me, man. Yeah. What do you want them to sing? Maybe I don't know. You know what? Or I, just stand there. I don't know. I it just it makes it makes me feel like they're guilting me into giving them money. It's the it's the Salvation yeah. Army with the red bucket, right? right yeah, right. But that's how they uh, you know garner attention. I guess I mean, yeah, they have to. They have and to. I get it. And those are good people doing volunteer Holi- stuff. Holiday I, tradition. And I don't have a better answer, man, than a bell. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? If they had anything else, it wouldn't work as well. well if they I, had like one of those wood blocks, how about a pan, a pan flute? <laughs> a pan flute <laughs> or maracas? <laughs> I don't know. There's all kinds of options here. We I got mean, good uh, ideas. We jazz, have good jazz ideas. Flute. Maybe yeah. play a little jazz flute while they're there. Yeah, but this you know. Especially as it gets as it gets colder out there, remember uh, you in your you and your local community have uh, a much better chance of making a difference than a lot of those top down programs that go global. Well said. All right. Hey, uh, let's. Uh, here's another thing. This isn't uh, necessarily a, a listener email or anything, right. but um, I, I feel like it's a suggestion from many listeners that uh, that I don't have a list of in front of me right now. Um, I printed this out uh, because there was a note on my desk and it didn't have a name attached to it. And I don't know if it's just something that I, I ran across or what, but there, there's an article out there and probably several. Uh, this one comes from a, a site called Bottom Line Inc. and they wrote an article that is called Proven Ways to Make Your Car Last 300,000 Miles. And this list is intriguing to me because it, yeah. it lists a lot of things that are, um, I, I wouldn't say controversial or anything, but I mean, I, I guess you can kind of argue both ways about some of these things. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not um, the end all be all of lists, I suppose. You know, they never are really. Um, but they're saying, you know, there are different driving techniques for making your car last 300,000 miles every time. It says proven methods, right? That has to be. This is how you do it. Maybe not necessarily, as we found out. We went through this list. There, there are some people in the uh, the comments section arguing and, and why they're arguing with it. You know, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll just maybe mention a couple of these because I think we talked about this off air, and we think that maybe we're going to take this list as a uh, as a bigger topic. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah. uh, maybe really go through this and, and talk about every one of these. Make so a whole episode. I'll mention a few here, but like driving techniques where you know you accelerate slowly, so you don't you know do these jackrabbit starts and stops. Right. Uh, so um, allow the engine to get hot before you drive. You know, so you don't take off with a cool a cold engine block. Um, uh, run the air conditioner or windshield defroster at least once a month, even in, you know, cold or hot weather. Uh, always use the parking brake. You know, that stuff like that. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. just, uh, it, it, uh, delays the wear on your vehicle, I suppose, if you want to put it that way, or it slows the wear on the vehicle. Um, there's also routine maintenance and, you know, fuel choices and all kinds of stuff that, that's outlined in this, in this list. And each section isn't very long. Uh, so I think that maybe this is one for a full episode at some point in the near future. What do you think? For sure, absolutely. And also, I think this is one that uh, a lot of us will be writing back in to uh, reply with our own opinions. Because, like like you said, Scott, um, so I'm skeptical of some of this. One of the things that's 
very difficult uh, to maintain consistently is driving style, is driving technique. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, everybody wants to have uh, the the discipline, perhaps, of a hypermiler or something. But have you ever tried doing the hypermiler techniques? I've tried a couple of little things that the, the ones that aren't super dangerous. You know, like not like shutting the engine off and trying to coast down hills and things. Right. Yeah. Uh, drafting behind a semi. No, but I've tried like <laughs> the I've tried like the pulse and glide and you know stuff like that. Yeah. And trying not to not to break you know as much you know like trying to to reduce that urge to uh, to tap the brakes because that's lost energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, little things like that. Have you tried some of that stuff around town? Yeah, man, I did. I did the. Uh, I did the drafting behind a semi. We were working on that episode a long, long time ago. And I also – see, I couldn't get to the stage where I was taking things out of my car. Like some of the hypermilers, you know, remove the shotgun seat and stuff. Oh, yeah. And a buddy of mine has done some heavy – like heavy maintenance on his vehicle, and he's uh, kitting it up himself. So – it's it looks beautiful on the outside, but it's always kind of a wreck on the inside. Yeah. And he, he accidentally, we were joking, he accidentally became a hypermiler because he took the shotgun seat out because he was trying to install some goofy thing. But uh, the the issue with the issue with that kind of driving technique is that, and you know, I'm completely behind. I completely support anybody who's able to pursue hypermiling or driving technique, but the the fact of the matter is that your driving technique should depend on the conditions of the road. Yeah, you know it's always I mean? ever-changing. Like, sometimes you are just going to have to gun it. It's also where you live, too. I mean, I guess it's easier if you're just living in and around a small town to kind of maintain, you know, what you normally do every day. It's, uh, you don't have to deal with maybe the uh, the rush hour that we do here in Atlanta or in L.A. or in Chicago mm-hmm. or, you know, wherever you may be listening to this. But um, it's not always the same conditions, and that's, that's just a fact of life. And I think everybody, I mean, even, you know, those in the small town, they're going to get out of town sometimes into the <laughs> into the city, or they're going to, um, you know, go, go wherever where the, the um, you know the driving style is different to begin with. You know you're going 75 on the highway instead of going you know 45 on a on a smaller back road. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you said it best, Ben. I mean, it's like you just can't maintain that 100 percent of the time. Yeah, yeah. It's like that uh, old Abraham Lincoln quote about fooling people, right? Oh yeah. You, Which is I that Abraham up. Lincoln? <laughs> you could fool some of the people all of the time and all the people some of the time, but you'll never fool everyone all of the time. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, yeah. You may have got it back. I, I would, I, you know, again, I always get these backwards every yeah, time. Right? <laughs> so I, I, you, you shouldn't look to me for, for uh, you know, confirmation on that one. Who was it busting our chops off air about that? <laughs> oh, would that be Dylan? Yeah, that uh, might be Dylan. Yeah, um, guy, yeah <laughs> it would be. Uh, so uh, we've, got a, we've got a letter here from Quentin V. Uh, Quentin writes in and says, Hi, Scott and Ben. Discovered your show not too long ago when a co-worker of mine suggests I look into podcasts to make our 10-hour machining shifts go by a little faster. Being a gearhead, I discovered your show quite quickly. Uh, so I know you guys are not the biggest truck fans, but I'm not only a truck fan, but a huge diesel fan as well. Back in the 80s, my uncle owned every diesel GM made. Cadillac 350 diesel, Olds 350 diesel, half-ton Chevy 6.2 diesel, Suburban 6.2, etc., etc., and I wanted to suggest a diesel car, eco-diesel podcast to include older diesel cars and compare them to the newer ones, especially the new Chevy Cruze diesel. On a funny note, my uncle once received a speeding ticket in the 80s while tuning the homemade water meth injection system on the old 350 diesel, which he had turbocharged 90 miles in a 55. He <laughs> took it to court, told the judge the car was diesel. The judge laughed in the officer's face, wrote the ticket off saying, my wife owns one and there's no way it could do over 60. <laughs> Little did he know the car had been heavily modified, uh, was a boosted tire smoking machine. Uh, looking forward to your reply. Uh, Quentin V uh, is in uh, the Marine Corps Reserve, so of course want to thank you for your service. And then also... This is interesting, Quentin, because I don't know if you've heard, but VW basically said they're going to kill diesel in the U.S. Did yeah, you hear pretty, about this? Oh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's pretty much done here, anyways. They're they're going to continue to you know create their European and other market mm-hmm. uh, diesel product, but um, just here in the U.S., it's it's kind of a done deal. Yeah, and they did it because they were anticipating that future 
emission standards were just not going to be negotiable. Yeah, and, and of with course, that technology. Do we even need to bring up the trust issue right now at this point? I, I don't think we do. We, we've talked about this. We've right? talked about and, it. And this someday will garner a full episode, you know, as to the, uh, you know, exactly what happened along the way. Right. The blow um, by blow. Yeah. Because great cover up. We have some listeners that have written in with, uh, with some really interesting information about what's going on. Uh, you know, like with the, I received this in the mail today, you know, a, a photo of, you know, the letter that they sent out or, you know, the, uh, the gift card that can be spent in the, in the, uh, the boutique area of the dealership or whatever it is. Um, there's some interesting things that have been happening along the way. So I think that, you know, someday we'll, uh, we'll kind of wrap this whole thing up with, uh, with a podcast, I'm sure. But, um, on a, on a side note. Yes. Now, I'm glad that uh, Quentin wrote in uh, with his his uh, initial mention here, where he says that you know he works in a machining shop and he has these long ten hour shifts. We get, and I, I just want to kind of make this this blanket statement because we get so many of these uh, that that I really really appreciate this when I hear this. That a lot of people write in, guys and girls, and say that I have a job and you know again I'm, I'm a welder. I'm a mm-hmm. uh, I work in a factory and I have kind of a repetitive job, or um, I work a twelve hour shift and you guys are the only thing that kind of keep me going. And I I really really appreciate that. That's really it's it's just a nice compliment to say that you know they take you know. They want to use part of that time listening to us and that it makes the time go faster. And uh, we get, we, again, we get probably, I, I would say in a month, we probably get four or five of those every month mm-hmm. uh, throughout the entire year. And uh, it just it kind of makes our day to, you know, know that oh, you, know, you yeah. guys are out there listening to us while, you know, trying to, uh, it's entertaining, I guess, you know, that it, uh, it, it passes the time quickly. And uh, I hope we can continue that uh, <laughs> that for you. And hopefully this one isn't too dry and boring as well. But again, that's to everybody that writes in with these, you know, these factory jobs and stuff, you know, and the long shifts, man, we feel for you. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully we're, we're helping you along the way with this one too. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Scott. Well said. Uh, who do we have up next, my well, friend? Well, I tell you what. I've got it's, it's kind of another uh, side note, I suppose, that I want to mention before we go back to listener mail. And it's in reference to – remember the Dodge Viper that we were talking about is kind of maybe a, the new replacement for our uh, old Ferrari example oh, yeah, of the, yeah. the exotic that you can afford but uh-huh. uh, maybe shouldn't. Um, <laughs> I've got some. I've, I've got something I want to say about that. But but first, I think maybe we should wait and take a, uh, take a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Scott, did you see me during our commercial break? Did you see me scooting up uh, to the edge of my seat here? <laughs> I did. That's like you pay for the whole seat, but you only need the edge. Right? right? Yeah. What's going on, man? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat, literally. All right. So the, the backstory on this is that we typically would reference a Ferrari 308 as the affordable exotic that, you know, it's kind of in everybody's price range now. And I, I not everybody, I understand, but, it, you know, it's in the ballpark of... Um, well, we we thought it was between twenty and thirty thousand, and apparently they've escalated in price. But um, and that's the reason that I'm replacing it here. We we thought it was kind of like the affordable exotic that everybody could could afford, and you know, but there were problems with it. You know, like when the timing belt went, it was a really really expensive job, and it and it you know something that had to be done early. Um, otherwise, it would be a much more expensive repair. And so mm-hmm. we've had you know kind of this long running. Not and it's not a joke. It's just a, it's a mention that you know this is something that maybe. You should kind of forget about, you know, like if you see it on the lot, it's a nice dream to have, but maybe you should avoid it. Um, I was trying to find a replacement for this because as somebody wrote in and told us, you know, the prices have doubled on those things. They've gone way up. So uh, we need to find a new affordable exotic. And I was putting out there that maybe the Dodge Viper would be that replacement, the first gen Dodge mm-hmm, Viper. Mm-hmm. And my initial thought was that, um, you know, the, the V10 that was, you know, Lamborghini tuned V10 would be the big expense in this thing. Turns out I'm wrong. So the reason that you probably should avoid that, you know, twenty thousand dollar first gen Dodge Viper that's you know in a little bit rough shape, but uh, but still drivable, you know, needs some work or whatever. And we've yeah. talked about that in a previous episode. The reason, Ben, is because of the front clip, that whole big front, the whole front end is one piece. It's a clamshell piece, uh-huh. and so it all lifts up and away. Yeah, it's carbon fiber. That should be enough for you uh, right there. There we go. Yeah. Get this. If you crack that thing or if that thing gets damaged in some way, like in a parking lot, you bump it into a uh, you know uh, a curb or whatever, sure. and it breaks, the replacement is between fifteen and eighteen thousand dollars for what? that for that one what? panel. Yes. Yes, one panel. So a lot of times when you'll see these things online, I've been paying attention to this now that I, I, I know this. I found this out about two weeks ago. And I've been kind of searching around Craigslist on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in different areas, I should say, like, you know, here in Atlanta, out in Alabama and, you know, Florida, areas that are close by. And a lot of the ones that are damaged or say slightly damaged, the, the damaged part is the front end. And, you know, it's easy to crack that thing up. It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's strong. It's carbon fiber. But, I mean, it can't take an impact against, you know, something in a parking lot or somebody banging into it or whatever. Right. Or just... I mean, let's be honest, a lot of those get cracked up because the driver is, you know, driving with cold tires or whatever. You know, it's a, it's a V10 car. It's probably yeah. pretty easy to slide into something, I would think. So the front ends take a lot of damage. The problem, again, is that they can range, I, I said fifteen to 18000 but I mean, that's probably best case scenario. I mean, let's say fifteen to 22000 or whatever it is. Um, it's a very expensive piece to match. That's way too much money. I mean, I understand because material science is there, but it also raises another question, which I imagine a lot of people are asking. How long do you think uh, it will take for a third-party developer to to figure out a, a, a less expensive alternative? Well, there probably is something. I'm sure you can probably patch it. You can probably, you know, um, it, it just loses its structural integrity. Is That's the problem. the problem, yeah. The, the problem is that. I mean, it, you can you can fix it as um, not as easily as you can fiberglass, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, a patch from the backside or something and, you know, fill it in and make it look pretty, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be as strong as it once was, and it may have flex where it shouldn't have flex, and that'll damage the paint and, you know, so on. It just, the problem grows as, it, <laughs> as you use it. So, um, again, I, I'm not. I don't know exactly how to fix carbon fiber or anything like that. So I, you know, I'm not an expert in this, but um, I assume that it's a lot more difficult to do than uh, than fiberless would be. And and there's a reason why the replacement hoods are fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars. Huh. Or Man. Even, yeah. Even more. So uh, th- this does kind of it puts another tick in the box of uh, you know this may be our replacement for that, for that vehicle because that is such a tempting deal, isn't it? When you mm-hmm. see. You know, just a little bit of damage on a on a Dodge Viper, but uh, and it's older. It's got high miles, but it is that V10 monster. It's you know, it's a, it's a, just a, a 
beast of a car. Yeah, I mean, it's, for it's, sure. It's not refined in any way. Um, you know, maybe you're okay with having a crack in the hood. Maybe maybe that's fine for, for you. But um, uh, for some people, you know, they want it to look nice. They want it to be, you know, a show car, I guess, or close to it. Yeah, man, um, it's a Dodge Viper. Well, of course. I mean, it'd be kind of you'd be a little bit embarrassed, I guess, if you had some duct tape on that, probably. <laughs> but uh, and, it, and it wouldn't hold up by any means the same way it would normally would. But I would guess that any clamshell hooded vehicle would have that. But this one kind of has it exponentially with the, the carbon fiber. Hey, I have a weird thing that popped up in the news that I thought might interest some folks and maybe be a good deal for a couple of people. Okay, what is, it? what is it? So uh, Jalopnik reports that a car dealership owned by a Cuban exile offers a $15,000 discount to celebrate the passing of Fidel Castro. This guy is Arnaldo Bomnin, uh, he is a car dealer in the Miami area. He came to the U.S. from Cuba in 96. He was 26 years old. And uh, now he's offering up to $15,000 of discount on Corvettes, Silverados, Tahos, and Suburbans in celebration of uh, of of the death of Fidel Castro. Well, is it – you say in Miami? Is that what yeah. this is? You're going to drive down? Uh, $15,000 off? <laughs> yeah, man. That's a crazy deal. That is a crazy deal. And, you know, of course, who knows how long it will last. Yeah. I imagine not very long. And I wonder if it's like on this uh, on this model only, you know, this uh, this stock number. Right, because a, we did do our piece on the math behind dealership deals. Yeah. Uh, but still, that uh, that seemed pretty interesting. And if you are... Like me, always on the lookout for a deal. This might be uh, this might be something you check into in the Florida area. I gotta say that's intriguing. That's a, that's an, that's something I want to look up today to see you know if there is this deal and how long is it going to last. I mean, it that, almost that, sounds too good to be true. It, it seems like if the guy were to sell every car in the lot, he'd be cleaned out. You know, like it would yeah. uh, it would it would really hurt. Yeah, him they said select models. I mean, you don't find deals like that every day. No. No, not at all. Well, which is so, why I'm having a little bit of a little bit of skepticism. I mean, it was written up in re- reputable sources, but for any listeners in the Florida area, I would love to hear if this is actually, you know, if this is a real thing. It's legit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, you and I could, uh, you know, maybe buy a $200 air t- airline ticket down there and mm-hmm. uh, and drive back. See, now you're thinking. Yeah, but then this also makes me think. Uh, if you're in the U.S., you're well aware of this. If you're not, this might be strange information. So there's this thing that happens around Thanksgiving here in the U.S., and it's a big shopping day. They call it Black Friday. And they have these, uh, they advertise these outrageous deals, like get this amazing television for just a 100 bucks or something, and it's like a f- television worth five grand. But what they don't tell you is they're only selling one at that price, and their job is just to get you into the store Preferably with your kids so that you can get bullied into buying more stuff. That's the old bait and switch. It's the old bait and switch. And I'm wondering if this is a play, too. Yeah. But plus, there's plus so you'll far. Get tr- you'll get trampled. You'll get trampled. Yeah. Uh, not at the dealership, at the Black Friday stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a whole other bag of badgers. And now Cyber Monday's cutting into that deal. It's so weird, man. <laughs> it's so weird. I was. It, <laughs> Maybe you can help me out with this, listeners. Earlier today, before we went in to record, I was thinking, you know, uh, for my for my parents this year for the holidays for Christmas, I'm going to get them. Uh, I'm I'm going to make them something. I'm going to like make a painting for my mom and dad, and it'll be a nice painting. I'm not too bad at that. And it's like that'll probably mean more to them than me just buying them some stuff. And then I turned on uh, Amazon, and uh, not dude, not 23 seconds later, I was like, I should buy kayaks for everyone because <laughs> they had a deal. Some, some incredible deal. Ben, we got to stop for just one second here. You paint? What? Yeah, a little, bit, a little I, bit. I also paint a little bit. I haven't done it since I've done this job because I just haven't had enough time. Are you serious? I, I, I used to, yeah. I had no idea that you were a painter. Uh, I would not. Uh, I would not deign to call myself a painter. I think you have to paint way more often than I do. Okay. Well, likewise. I mean, yeah. I, I dabble in that, I guess. And I still have all the stuff, you know, in the basement somewhere in a box. Uh, but I had no idea that you did that. Uh, oh, yeah, man. Art what, runs in my family. Uh, landscapes, what do you do? Still oh, life? Uh, portraits? <laughs> Scary portraits? I do, yeah. Uh, I do. It gets weird, man. I'll be honest with you. But if it's for my parents, I'm going to try to rein it in and, you know, just paint a picture yeah. of them or something. Yeah, like some kind of like surreal like horror image or something, you know, something just ghastly. Oh, like some Cthulhu yeah. or something. Yeah, I've done stuff like that, but How you nice. know, How for, festive. My, for my parents, I'll probably just <laughs> hopefully uh, 
take a you know a photo of them and then and then just paint that. Very nice. Uh, well, we will we will see, man, because they might just end up with some kayaks, <laughs> these inflatable kayaks, man. That's my question. Should I get should I get an inflatable kayak uh, for the for these people? I just called my parents these people, <laughs> <laughs> which is a sign that it's time for us to move on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, so a couple that are related here. Um, going back to the traffic misconceptions. Mm. All right, so uh, this one comes from someone named Chris and Chris with a K. So Chris says. Hi guys, my name is, well, my name is Chris and I love your show. Uh, thank you, Chris, by the way. Uh, I just listened to the traffic misconceptions episode and wanted to tell you about something that caught my attention. Uh, there was a point where you brought up that local cops can only give you a ticket for 11 over, but state troopers can for one over. Hmm. Did we say that? We we mentioned that that's a thing a lot of people believe. Oh, it's a, oh that's right. Okay, it's a common it's like belief, a but m- common belief, but we don't we didn't think it was true. Got it. Okay. So, but but here's a little bit of clarification on this. Um, Chris says, I live in Tucson, Arizona, and when you get a ticket, they give you a little pamphlet that shows you the different traffic citations. The first one for speeding is 11 miles an hour over. There's no citation listed with a lesser speed. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. That is interesting. This is insider info. Now, now, Chris goes on to say that um, I wouldn't say that they can't cite you for less, but I know that here I don't know a single person who has been, and about 90% of the drivers drive at 5 miles an hour over. But on the other hand... Chris goes on to say, um, I, I do know that the state troopers will pull you over for going just a few over, and what they give you isn't actually a speeding ticket. Now, this is this gets interesting here. The citations they give you here in that situation is for exponential waste of finite resources. That's what it says on the citation. Exponential waste of finite resources. Yes. Yeah, so Chris says basically what they give you is a $50 ticket for wasting gas. Can you believe that? Isn't that funny? Yeah. I mean, it says it right there on the ticket. It's not like a speeding ticket. It's just a citation for exponential waste of finite resources. That's that's what that means, I guess. That's strange. All right. Um, oh, and then Chris goes on to say I have an interesting story about my first speeding ticket. My first speeding ticket was for 12 over on a road that I didn't know the speed and had recently uh, speed had recently been reduced on. I was about 17 years old and driving home from work, and I had to take a different road than I normally did. Once I turned onto this road, I ended up behind a cop. So uh, me being naive, I assumed this cop was going to be going the speed limit and didn't pay much attention to the speed I was going. I glanced down at some point and saw I was going about seven over. And like I said before, everyone goes about five over, so I didn't see a problem with that. The next thing I know, I'm getting pulled over by a different cop. And when they asked if I knew about how fast I was going, I told them maybe three or four over the speed limit, but I was following one of you guys. Well, that doesn't normally fly when you say something like that. Right, right. <laughs> but again, being 17, Chris didn't know that. So yeah. Chris says, she told me I was going 47 and a 35, not the 47 and the 40 that I originally thought. So uh, she also told me that I didn't see a, she didn't see a cop in front of me as well. So <laughs> I, I don't know. The story's falling apart, Chris. Uh, so, so at the end of the day, I had to pay a $350 fine, but I learned not to trust the traffic around me, even a cop. Just do the right thing. Yeah. All right. All right. Just so do the right thing. Yeah, just do the right thing. But here's the question, Ben. So oh boy. That's that's three hundred fifty dollars for what, twelve miles per hour over? Yeah. Do you remember your first ticket, speeding ticket or otherwise, I oh, guess? Oh wow, vaguely. Yeah, you're right. It was speeding. Um when you were first pulled over? Mm-hmm. It was pretty uh, it was pretty high too. Uh <laughs> so you know I got points on my license yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Uh but it's uh what we would in my family call the price of an education. (laughs) It's a lesson learned. Well, because if you do the math, we've done the math, I think, on a previous show. Uh, I can't recall the correct ratio, but on average, speeding excessively maybe saves you two to three minutes. Yeah. It uh, it really doesn't, uh, unless you are, uh, like, the difference between the speed limit and the speed you're going, even if it's, you know, 25 or 30 over, it doesn't save you as much time as you might think unless you're going over a long distance. If you're going a short distance, by short, I mean, like, you know, even 30 miles or like, whatever. Yeah, across it, town it, or something. It really doesn't pay off. It, do, it just doesn't. I mean, it's a difference of uh, maybe maybe a minute at the end. I mean, just it's, set your alarm it, earlier. It is so slight, the difference. And we again, we've talked about this at length on another podcast. And then you'll really be late when you get pulled over. 
Hmm. That's the thing. You'll go from saving three minutes to losing well, that's the problem, half right? an hour yeah. and three hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> All right, I've got one more here. Uh, I got a, a couple actually. Oh no, another, no, 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 no! Hang on, slick. Oh, oh what? What was your first ticket? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, I might have already mentioned this on the show, but uh, if I did, it was a long, long time ago. The first time I was ever uh, pulled over, yeah, in a funeral procession. And I know you think that's crazy, but I, I, it wasn't an official like following the hearse type procession. But this is one where, uh, you know, we had left the uh, you know the the, the memorial service, mm-hmm. and I was on my permit, driving a car with my mom next to me, yeah. and uh, you know, family in the back seat. And uh, we were leaving that memorial service and going to, uh, you know, the, the after thing, you know, like the, the lunch or brunch or whatever they were going to have. We weren't going to the uh, the grave site. It wasn't going to happen. It was a, a cremation burial. And uh, so we're all kind of traveling en masse to this thing. So we're all together and we're kind of clustered together yeah. following each other to this other location. And uh, the cops singled me out of everybody in that line. And pulled me over, and of course I don't know what to do, so I pulled over, and of course everybody's wondering what's going on. You know, right. they, they went on to their their the place, yeah. and uh, it turned out the the vehicle it was a, uh, a Chrysler lease vehicle. Uh, it was an executive lease vehicle, and the tags had been uh, updated. I think it was like the month that they were supposed to be sent or whatever, and they hadn't been sent yet, so we didn't have them on the car. And it was like a matter of a day or two, but it you know shows that I think we were still legal officially, you know, by the day. Mm-hmm. But it was in the month that it expired, and they pulled it, it pulled us over just to check, um, you know, make sure everything was on the on the up and up, I guess. Yeah. And uh, so I got a, kind of a warning, I guess, you know, and, and you know, make sure you get those on the vehicle right away because you're two days out or three days out or whatever. Right. But right. I got pulled over in the middle of a, a funeral. Really, that's that's lousy. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. Man. And uh, I'm I'm sorry to hear it. And then many many other times after I was pulled over for speeding, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. mainly speeding, mainly speeding. Yeah, I mean, I'm ashamed to say it now because you know it hasn't happened in a long time. Thankfully, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not. Uh, you know, I, I can't throw stones, I guess. Right, you know, right, like, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't throw stones when you drive a glass car, right? <laughs> yeah, something uh, like that. Something like that. Yeah. Hey, uh, I think we've got time for just a few more. Okay. Um, okay, two things I want to get to then. Um, oh, boy. Where do I go first? Uh, how about this? Ooh, DuPont Go, Registry. Going back to our episode about the DuPont Registry, all the way back, I realized when we left the studio that very day that I had promised at some point during that podcast to mention something about – Rolls-Royce lease costs because, you know, this is one of those magazines, you know, that has yeah. the supercars and the uh-huh. crazy, crazy high expensive, uh, you know, luxury vehicles. And I said uh, I was going to mention something about these Rolls-Royce lease costs because they're just phenomenal to anybody that's not in, I guess, in that world, really. Um, so I found an, an ad here, and there's a bunch of these ads in here. I just had to choose one uh, for other makes and models as well. But the Rolls-Royce kind of points out um, exactly what I was getting at, really. So these are numbers for the Ghost Series 2 and the Wraith. And um, I'll just get right down to brass tacks here, right, Ben. It's, uh, it's $1,788 per month for both of those vehicles. For, well, for one of them, I guess. Oh, okay. Your choice. Um, but when you get down to it and you read the fine print, there's a few differences. So the Ghost Series 2 um, is about $10,000 less in total cost. It's, uh, the price, the MSRP, is... $324,225, that's the, the price, mm-hmm. the base price of these things. Uh, so that's about $10,000 less than the Wraith, but it has a $10,000 higher down payment. So this is where it gets really interesting, to me anyways. Um, so if you're getting a Wraith, the more expensive the two of the two, really, um, it has a base price of $335,775. You pay $25,000 as your down payment. $25,000. And then again, every month is, you know, seventeen eighty-eight, as I said. Yeah. Uh, but get this. What that gets you is 2,500 miles per year. Now, take that in for a moment. That you're, you're paying, what, nearly $2,000 a month. You've paid $25,000 as your down payment. And, and I said, you know, on the Ghost Series 2, you're paying $35,000 down. That's the, the difference there. Mm-hmm. You get 2,500 miles a year, and that's it. That's super, super low. Even the, yeah. you know, when I look at a, a lease vehicle now and I think like, well, 10 or 12,000 miles, it's still low for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I put a lot more miles in than that. Some, some offer 15. You can buy up to 15 and, you know, pay over that. But, 2,500 miles. How quickly would you put 2,500 miles on a vehicle? I mean, maybe you're just taking it, you know, to dinner and to the club or something. But sure. uh, um, I don't know. That's a, that's a lot of money. And that's, again, this is a 48-month lease. And at the end of that value, you know, the end of that, uh, yeah. that payment schedule, 
the lease end value of that vehicle, or, or what you would still owe on it if you wanted to purchase it, would be one hundred and seventy four thousand six hundred and three dollars. You would still owe that much after paying, Oof. you know, two two grand a month and twenty five thousand dollars down. Plus, you know, all the tax that I haven't even touched on the uh, the you know the the licensing title tax and all that stuff. Scott, you know, I've got your back, but uh, I think. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, hang hang back on this one. It's a, it's a different world, isn't it? I mean, yes. it really is. When you look in yes. this in this Dupont registry, it is a different world for uh, or at least from the one I live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, the numbers are fascinating. I, I thought that the ghost thing was you know interesting as well. That the the price of the vehicle is less, but you pay ten thousand dollars more for the down payment, which didn't quite line up. It's uh, I don't know. I, I can't quite figure out why that is. Maybe it's a the more popular model or something. Mm-hmm. But I uh, thought it was interesting. At least I'd catch up, you know, from the old DuPont Registry episode. <laughs> Anyways, again, I can eliminate some of the notes on my desk. <laughs> right. That, that's right. really what all this amounts that's, to. That's the, that's the never-ending battle. That's this whole story. Well, so uh, unfortunately we are going to call it a day today, ladies and gentlemen. Spoiler alert. We did not, in fact, answer all of the email that has been sent to us. <laughs> but... Uh, we really appreciate everybody wrote in Glenn, James, Brian, Nick, Quentin, Chris, and uh, all of the other listeners who've sent us uh, these fascinating tweets, uh, Facebook messages, and emails. We're replying back, uh, you know, we're not all Santa Claus. You know, we, we don't get back to, like, every single person as quickly as we want to. But uh, our best ideas for shows come from you and listeners like you. So if you want to take a page from uh, your fellow listeners' book and write in uh, to respond to something they said or to follow up with a episode we've already done, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for us to cover in the future, we are all ears. Uh, you can write to us on Twitter and Facebook. We're CarStuffHSW. You can find every single episode of our show at our website, CarStuffShow.com, and you can send us an email directly. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.